Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Attention to Detail. This is Jacob joining you as always. And today I'll be doing the podcast solo, but we're going to be breaking down a piece of music that I thought of uh, in the midst of this massive winter storm that has been crossing the entire United States. I know I spoke to several friends in the South who were saying this is some of the coldest weather they've ever had. And similarly, I spent much of the morning shoveling about a foot of snow off of our driveway here in Michigan. So it's a real, we're in the thick of winter. And so I was thinking about works of classical music that remind me of winter or that are are written specifically about winter. And so we're going to do a little bit of a series for the next few episodes on works that center on winter, the season, uh, and and kind of were inspired by this this very cold time of year. Hopefully spring is just around the corner. I think this probably has been one of the toughest winters both in terms of weather, but also in terms of just all the other things going on in the world for, for many listeners. And so hopefully this will give a little music that can be listened to that's appropriate for the time, but also music that speaks to the kind of ever-changing nature of the seasons and the fact that spring is around the corner. And that is certainly the case for the piece that we'll be talking about today, which I imagine most of our listeners have never even heard of. Um, it's it's a piece that's very, very rarely performed by a composer who's very famous, Joseph Haydn. Um, and it turns out he actually wrote a piece called The Seasons, or, or The Four Seasons, depending on how you, you translate it. Um, and so we'll be talking specifically about winter from this piece. But it's actually an incredible gem of a work in its entirety. It's, it's incredibly long. Um, which is why we'll only be looking at winter today. But it's not very frequently performed because it's of a genre called the oratorio, uh, a type of music that was composed a lot uh, 200, 300, 400 years ago, which has somewhat fallen out of favor with modern composers, possibly for good reason. It kind of doesn't totally align with, with modern sensibilities of taste. And as a result, I think this piece and many oratorios from the past go somewhat unnoticed. And I'm not here to say that's that's for any sort of negative reason necessarily. I think oratorios as a genre, as I mentioned, are some of the toughest pieces for listeners to make it through, especially modern listeners. But many of our listeners uh, to this podcast might know Maybe the most famous oratorio, which is Handel's Messiah, a piece that we often hear at Christmas. And if you've ever seen the full Messiah, you might know what the experience is like of seeing an oratorio, because effectively an oratorio is is kind of like an un, unstaged uh, opera in a way. There's no costumes, there's no acting, but it is a sung work that has some sort of narrative. Often the narrative is at least partly religious. Um, in the case of the Messiah, that's of course true. And uh, in many later oratorios that were composed as well, there's a, a religious undertone, if not a direct religious narrative. Um, but I think the reason why the oratorio is kind of a difficult genre for, for modern audiences to digest is because it often involves a lot of, of moments of kind of lulls in the action 
long stretches where characters might sing something that's that's narrative or or develops the plot in some way but often these narratives are kind of outdated they're they're you know you have to know the religious subtext to appreciate them by modern standards not a lot happens often um and so we don't listen to these works so much but but actually, there are a handful of oratorios that have just incredible musical moments, and I think this is one of them. Um, so Haydn wrote this piece. It's actually one of, if not the last kind of complete large-scale work he ever wrote. And Haydn was a composer who lived actually a very long life and had a very prolific career. He wrote 104 at least numbered symphonies. I think there were like two more unnumbered, but he wrote, you know, a hundred and some symphonies. This was composed after all of them. He wrote many, many string quartets. This was composed after basically all of them. Um, and very late in his life, he, he, was, he was successful as a court composer. He then traveled to London and gained some international fame. And very late in his life, he came back to Vienna where he was a real kind of celebrity of sorts, but like many other composers, his music became a little more arcane in some ways. He retreated into some level of musical mystery and wrote a lot of very religious uh, works. He wrote another oratorio called The Creation, which is more famous than this oratorio of the seasons. Um, and he stopped composing kind of his bread and butter symphonies, quartets. But these works are nonetheless incredible. They're actually, I think, some of Haydn's best works, these last works. And so we'll be focusing on winter from the four seasons or the seasons, this this big oratorio. So um, what comes in an oratorio, what we normally expect is some orchestral, purely orchestral music as kind of interludes or introductory material. Many recitatives, what recitatives are, are basically, they take the place of speaking in a musical, if we want to think about it like that. They're moments that move the plot forward, but they're spoken sung. So they're, they are technically sung, but they're not, they don't have nearly as much accompaniment associated with them, and they're performed often in this kind of, and written in this kind of spoken style. So we have many recitatives, and I think part of the reason why oratorios struggle to gain a foothold in, in kind of modern concert halls is because these recitatives are not particularly musically interesting a lot of the time. Um, there's arias, which are like actual sung numbers in musicals where the action kind of pauses and a, a character reflects or something and sings a beautiful aria. And then there are various other choruses interspersed, uh, trios, duets. Um, and so we get all of that in, in the Four Seasons. But it starts, the, the libretto was written by one of, of Haydn's friends, and it's based on a poem called The Four Seasons. And it starts uh, with an orchestral introduction. And this is some of the best music I think Haydn ever wrote. Uh, it's a phenomenal orchestral introduction, and I'll play some of it for you now. This is supposed to express the thick fogs at the approach of winter. And I think he does a phenomenal job of painting this kind of wintry scene. And really what's so interesting about this work that you'll hear here, if you're familiar with any of Haydn's compositions, is that 
It's so stylistically diverse. To me, this opening sounds really nothing like what I would expect from Haydn, but uh, rather something that would have come significantly later from a Beethoven, from a Schumann, from a Mendelssohn. So I'll play a little bit of the beginning of this orchestral introduction for you now. Here's the beginning of Winter from Haydn's Seasons. Now, as always, it's my hope that our listeners might go and and listen to the whole beginning of this, at least, because I only played a short clip there, but but this is a fantastic introduction. Um, And it might sound a little bit, to some of our more experienced listeners, like a more familiar work that deals with winter, that of the Four Seasons of Vivaldi, who also paints this kind of barren winter landscape at the beginning of his winter from the four seasons. And clearly, I think this was in Haydn's ear when he was writing this opening to his own four seasons. So let's just listen briefly to the beginning of Vivaldi's four seasons, which which may have informed some of the, the composing of this, this winter that, that Haydn wrote here in his own oratorio. So here's the beginning of Vivaldi's four seasons. So with that orchestral interlude, Haydn really sets up this whole uh, saga that's going to unfold the winter portion of this season. It's about 30 minutes long. It's it's a, something that you can you know go and listen to if you have a little bit of time. It's it doesn't take take up too much of your time, but we'll go through some of the important moments of it now. But I should stress again that all of the music from this this winter portion, I just listened to it today, and it's it's really phenomenal. Um, so he, he then goes into a recitative. As I mentioned, this is a moment of, of speaking where one of the characters kind of says something to introduce us to the scene, and this is largely accompanied with just small little interjections from, from the orchestra or in some of Mozart's operas and before Mozart. This was done just by a harpsichord. So the fact that we're even using an orchestra here is kind of more embellished than a lot of recitatives of the time might have been. 
But the interesting thing that Haydn does here is a musical device that we often refer to as, as text painting, where he actually tries to mirror what the, the speaker or singer is saying in the text in the actual music. So there, I want to play for you a little bit of this recitative, the beginning, and you'll hear some musical effects that, that happen over the course of this, this clip. And I just want you to listen to those as the singer sings, and then we'll come back and I'll tell you. If you know German, then you're set. You can just listen and translate it in your head. But if not, we'll come back and I'll tell you kind of what was being painted there. But first, just listen to the music that accompanies this, the beginning of this recitative. Now, we hear three lines sung by the singer there, followed by three small musical figures. And if you want to go back and listen again, it might be worth it because there's probably a lot to digest there. But the three lines that the singer sings, first he says, now the outworn year is dying. He's talking about winter. And uh, when we hear that word dying, we kind of hear this big musical sigh uh, uh, it, it really feels like like something is is dying, and it's it's kind of this falling figure, very resigned. Then the singer says, "And chilly fogs descend." And you might have heard that high flute that that comes in, but it kind of plays this this falling descending line as though something is coming from the sky and falling down slightly. And then the the final line we heard was, "The mountains are shrouded in gray mist." And you heard this very pale, kind of eerie interjection from the music right after that gray mist. It's almost as though that gray mist is is surrounding a mountain and, and that's being depicted directly in the music. So throughout this, this winter portion of, of the seasons, and in fact throughout the entire thing, there's tons of this text painting device that's used, which would actually become a huge tool for... Later composers like Schubert, who wrote songs, um, many operatic composers. This was a device that they would use frequently, can even potentially be seen as a sort of precursor to techniques that a composer like Wagner used, called leitmotifs and movie composers. So it's, it's a fascinating usage of music to, to supplement the text of, of this piece. So we get a, a recitative sung. And then in, in real stylistic contrast and as a demonstration of the, the incredible stylistic variety contained in this one piece, we come to what 
Haydn calls or titles a cavatina. A cavatina is traditionally a, a short and simple song. And suddenly again, we've got this very mournful aria. It sounds very uh, romantic, what we might expect from German romanticism. And suddenly we get this cavatina, which I'll play for you now. And it's like we've kind of rewound by by 50 years and suddenly we're smack dab in the middle of, of the classical era and this nice, short, simple, melodious, Mozart-like song. So here's a little bit from, from the Cavatina um, that comes right after this, this recitative. So here is where I think some people have real challenges with oratorios because often I have found in oratorios specifically, composers often value the form over the narrative or, or the actual content. The form of, of the oratorio was such a kind of sacrosanct musical form like many others, that, and form was something that composers... 300, 400 years ago in the Baroque, even in the classical era, were hesitant to experiment with. It's only really in the Romantic era and especially in the modern era that musical forms started to get altered, shattered completely. And so, you know, we, we find this cavatina here, which is a nice little inclusion after a recitative like you might do in an oratorio. What's interesting is that I would imagine, again, for those who don't speak German, you would never guess that the text of this particular short, simple song translates to light and life are now enfeebled, warmth and joy have disappeared, ill-humored days are followed by long, dark nights. So it's an incredibly pessimistic look at, at winter and, you know, the disappearance of light, everything that seems to be encapsulated in this song. And so I think that creates a real challenge for, for modern listeners of oratorios is why am I hearing this, this nice, delicate, happy music when uh, something so seemingly uh, dark is, is going on in the text? And I don't have an excellent explanation for that other than it's a real challenge of listening to the oratorio form when you try to closely wed the the kind of formal elements with the narrative elements in your own mind. And so uh, for our purposes, we're listening to, of course, the beauty of the music. I would not say that this is uh, a phenomenal work of literature, the libretto to this Four Seasons by, by Haydn. But if, if our listeners are inclined to, to read it and, and appreciate it, by all means. But the music for me is what's the real mastery here. And so when listening to oratorios, that's certainly something to keep in mind, and this, this piece is no exception. So we get this beautiful Mozart-like cavatina, and then we skip ahead a little bit, and we, uh, we have an aria. And in this aria, 
we encounter the the plot starts to to veer off a little bit and we get these kind of winter related adjacent vignettes and in this aria we encounter a traveler or a wanderer struggling to find the road in the darkness blizzard of winter and to me this is yet another kind of stylistic approach that Haydn has in this particular aria and it's one that sounds to me very much like some of the music of Franz Schubert who in fact wrote an entire song cycle which we will review in a subsequent episode called Winterreise all about winter and uh, and a wanderer it's it's all about this wanderer who gets lost in winter and is struggling to find his way and this seems almost like straight out of this passage from from Haydn's winter from the four seasons and Schubert would have been living in Vienna in the time that Haydn was composing this and probably heard this piece and so it makes me wonder if he was actually inspired in some way to write Winterreise by this passage because they sound very similar in many ways to me but in any case this is another challenge with oratorio the the narrative starts to blur a little bit and we get these kind of vignettes from different different uh, characters about winter but here is a little bit of an aria that that the tenor sings about a tr- traveler struggling to find a road in winter <laughs> So to me, if if any of our listeners happen to know some of the songs of Schubert, they might recognize this this style immediately, but we will review Winterreise, as I mentioned, on a subsequent episode, so much more of that to come. But again, we have this kind of text painting technique. The text of this passage refers to a wanderer who's bewildered and perplexed, not knowing which way to turn, and so we hear a lot of that kind of anxiety, bewilderment in the in the music of this particular passage. We then encounter something labeled by Haydn as a spinning song. And again, we're kind of veering off uh, one consistent narrative. And so I like to just <laughs> pay attention to the music in these moments because it's it's hard to track exactly what the librettist or, or Haydn was going for in, in the narrative sometimes. But this spinning song, it's, it's actually labeled that by, by Haydn, um, is now a totally different style, a, a totally different 
uh, type of music that we suddenly hear inserted into this oratorio. So I also want to listen to this because to me, we've suddenly uh, jumped to an, a whole other world of, of musical language, one that might pave the way for, for operas like Hansel and Gretel, which was written a hundred years later, or, or kind of, um, it's, it's almost dance-like music. It feels a little trivial at times, but not in necessarily a bad way and in a charming way. So here's a little clip from the spinning song inserted in the middle of this wintry scene in, in the Four Seasons. I really find it incredible that a, that a composer from, from this era especially is able to write with such stylistic variety in each one of the numbers that comes in this oratorio. I, I can't help but think that, you know, this is the classical composers often are knocked for writing music that often sounds very similar. And I've argued against that. In, on this podcast in the past, but I think you can definitely see that here, that Haydn clearly had masterful command of a variety of different ways of writing music. And, and it makes me think of, of one of the last works that Mozart wrote, The Magic Flute. And The Magic Flute is this incredible um, tour de force of changing styles from one number to the next, where you'll get, you'll get something that clearly paved the way for Wagnerian recitative, and then you'll flip to this kind of um, carnival song of sorts, and then you'll go to something incredibly lyrical, a kind of bel canto opera style. It just showed his incredible versatility. Uh, and that was one of the last works that Mozart ever wrote. In Mozart's case, it, you can point to the magic flute and say, wow, I wonder what I wonder what he would have done if he had lived significantly longer because Mozart only lived to to his early 30s. Now Haydn at this point was a relatively old composer and, and he had lived a, a long life, especially for the time. Um, and so maybe that same question isn't quite raised, but it is interesting that, you know, if you listen to any two Haydn symphonies in comparison, you might find some small differences, but but on the whole they'll they'll sound relatively similar. And any two numbers from this Four Seasons can sound totally different. And so it's, it's just a fascinating piece, especially given the composer who wrote it, who clearly had a mastery of so many styles and, and didn't always employ them all, but, but does in this, in this amazing piece. So we'll skip ahead a bit now because a lot of the music that comes after, um, after this number is, is more recitative, more arias. They do, do similar things. It's, it's all very stylistically varied, but it's a lot of the same text painting. And uh, a lot of the, the narrative of this next section becomes more directly and overtly religious. Um, 
again, the, the connections to or any one coherent narrative is, is a little hard to, to detect. But we come to this final chorus, which I want to play for you a little. I want to play a little bit of it for you. And the text here is also directly religious. It kind of talks about how winter is, is a season of metaphorical death and and spring is is rebirth the, the, you know eternal light comes in spring and and a lot of a lot of religious illusion but it's kind of a joyful celebration to end this very bleak and dreary season and so clearly it looks forward in 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 the narrative in a in a kind of religious context but in the music it's it's triumphant it's spring like and so here's the beginning of that final trio and chorus, which, which closes winter from Haydn's Four Seasons. So the trumpet kind of announces for us there the, the entrance of spring, of light. It's a very glorious beginning to this final trio and chorus. And, and they sing about, you know, like I said, eternal light and, and spring coming. And um, it's mostly a celebration. But at the very end, we get, we get of course, a glorious finale. And those, those following closely, those who have some musical training and we're listening to the actual keys that we've been tracking may have noticed the single most common key trajectory for composers of the the classical and romantic era when they want to show ultimate triumph that from c minor to c major this was this piece was written in 1801 so actually almost exactly at the same time that beethoven would have been composing works like like his fifth symphony which does the same thing um and so we get this kind of global movement from darkness to light, from struggle to triumph, which we have seen on this podcast before from C minor to C major, but was just such a narrative uh, device in, in the actual musical content that, that composers used around this time. But in any case, we've arrived at C major and we, we come to the final closing of this, this chorus and I think it's interesting text. Uh, there's there's certainly some some religious subtext here and direct religious allusion, but but the final lines of this this chorus say, "Finished their racket, silenced our sorrow laden days, the winter storms of life, an eternal spring now reigns, and infinite blessedness rewards the righteous." So. There's the idea that winter has finally gone, and in some way, I mean, the messaging here is is that, you know, winter is kind of the season of, of life on earth, and spring is the season of life in heaven. Uh, let's hope that's that's not, you know, it's not quite as dreary as that, but but uh, I like that that kind of um, thought, at least, that, that winter goes away and, and better times are ahead, especially given... Everything that's happened 
to us in, in 2020 and 2021, the idea that, you know, this winter will, will go away. Hopefully this, this virus will, will go away. We'll all get immunized. We'll all wear our masks and, uh, come out of this more healthy than ever. And, and, uh, with a new sense of, of progress that needs to be made and all of these great things. So I get inspired by this, this closing to this, this Four Seasons by Haydn. Um, and, and here's the, the very closing notes of, of this fantastic work. seemingly required of, of oratorios. We, we end with an amen there. Handel's Messiah, for those who are familiar, closes with an entire movement where the text is only amen. But, but here we, we get a short amen to close, which is the, the kind of traditional way to end an oratorio. And for those music theory buffs following along, we even get what's called a plagal cadence, which is which is something that you find primarily at the end of, of religious works, at least in, in early music. So he's sure to pay tribute to, you know, the, the genre of oratorio and his forebears here at the end. But also, I like this ending because it's, it's very forward-looking to a brighter spring in, in the future. And so with that, I would encourage our listeners, if they have the time, to go and check out this piece. It is... It is a phenomenal one. Hopefully these short clips have, have spurred your interest, but but really the entire winter portion of this piece and indeed the entire oratorio, it's, it's an hour and 45 minutes long, so you could split it up over four nights or something like that, but, but it's an incredible listen. It's really interesting music and music that you don't often hear. I mean, it's very hard for us to play these things in the context of a concert hall, partly because they're incredibly expensive to stage. They require choruses and singers. They're impractical. You know, there's there's no kind of break that, that fits particularly well often. And so you, you wonder, should we should we have everyone watch this entire thing in full or should we take a break in the middle? They're just, they're not the most practical or financially doable works a lot of the time, let alone uh, works that really cater to modern sensibilities. But... The music is often phenomenal, and that is certainly the case here with Haydn's Four Seasons. So I encourage you to go do a little more listening of your own, a little more exploring if you want to check out the text or just do a little research into Haydn himself because he was a, a fascinating composer. And we will be back shortly with some more breakdowns of, of winter-related music, and hopefully by the time we're done with this series, it will have warmed up substantially, maybe these piles of snow outside will have somewhat melted. I think that's going to take a while because we have one outside our house right now that is taller than me. So that might take a few months to totally disappear, but but we can all look with a little optimism to the, the warmer days uh, to come. So with that, thanks so much for joining us as always, and we will see you again soon. <laughs>